Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat number 241 for the 21st of May, 2016. It's John Shire filling in for Chet this week as he's en route back from our partner conference in Bali. Joining me today is Paul Ducklin. Good afternoon, Paul. Hello, John. Welcome to summer. Yes, finally summer is here in most parts of the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, we're finally getting a little bit of warmth, which is great. So in your part of the world, does that mean that some of the snow has melted by now? It definitely has melted, finally. <laughs> <laughs> some crooks have melted actually a little bit, haven't they, this week? Well, that's exactly what I wanted to start off with. It seems that um, there's been a little bit of a shakeup in the ransomware world or the crypto ransomware world. Uh, it was announced this week that Tesla Crypt, one of the variants of crypto ransomware, has finally basically shuttered its doors and revealed its master key. Now, for listeners out there, Tesla Crypt is just one of many variants. Uh, this is the type of rans crypto ransomware that uh, locks up your files and makes them inaccessible as opposed to maybe other versions like Tetya, which uh, scrambles the master file table. But uh, yeah, it was announced that the crooks uh, basically decided that uh, they were done with this particular piece of ransomware. Uh, they even apologized and then set the master key free. Yes, uh, it's almost a heartwarming story if you assume that they were struck by a fit of conscience or something. Uh, security researchers actually at ESET decided, hey, let's go on their, on their, you know, the support line. A lot of uh, ransomware these days has a support line where they can make sure you, you jolly well know how to buy those bitcoins. And I presume almost as a joke, they said, hey, guys, how about the master key? And they said, oh, all right, <laughs> and gave this long string of hexadecimal characters and uh, knock everybody down with a feather. Apparently, when they tried it, it worked. <laughs> yeah. That left us on naked security to speculate what on earth is going on. Might it also be that the Tesla Crypt folks might be feeling the heat from law enforcement as well. So in an effort to maybe lessen the punishment, um, maybe they're trying to do one last good deed. So that they think they might be going down, but they want to have a, a year off for good behavior or something. Sure, something like that. Maybe they just found another way to make more money. Maybe Tesla Crypt was on the way out and they figured out they'll go out with goodwill. Uh, what's interesting is a few people have said to us, does this mean that we should add to the general advice about ransomware that if we decide not to pay and we haven't got backup, that you should routinely keep a copy of all those encrypted files in case? And the answer is, if you've got a spare USB drive, for example, or enough store backup storage in a work environment, it won't do any harm. Unfortunately, I'm only aware of two cases in which the keys have ever come out. One was Crypto Locker, when the cops did a raid and some keys were still lying around on a server when it was seized. And the other one is this. Yeah, what's also interesting about this is, as you mentioned at the top of the story, was the fact that the researchers at ESET contacted the support hotline, which really goes to show the organization behind a lot of this ransomware, how they, they do have these support systems in place, and it really is a business. So um, there's, a, unfortunately, a lot of money to be made in this. As one of our commenters rather wryly said, John, you know, maybe they've become so much like regular business that actually they had what you might call an internal breach. Maybe they maybe they tried to sack one of the support workers and the person decided to go off in a huff and give the secret away on the way out of the door. Yeah, that's a very interesting speculation. Now on to some Apple news. Paul, you wrote up a story on Naked Security about uh, an Apple jailbreaking uh, detector app. What's all the fuss about this app that uh, basically... Apple and Stefan Esser are getting to flap about. Yeah, Stefan Esser is a well-known 
uh, figure in the Apple iOS security research and, and jailbreaking community. You know, he's he's been involved in that scene for years. And he published an app on the App Store that Apple obviously accepted that was quite useful. It would give you information about how other apps were behaving, for example, the sort of memory they were using. But also it would look through memory to see if there were evidence that other apps you'd loaded were doing naughty things, anom- you know, anomaly detection or jailbreak detection is the way he put it. Ironically, he got a great review in 9to5Mac and they mentioned how they'd reported a bug that they were very proud that he was going to fix. And it seems that in the process of fixing it, it rather alerted Apple to the fact that this app maybe had more functionality than their app verification had noticed. And they told him, no, sorry, you can't do that. Uh, You're using undocumented features. Those could change at any time. So you might be misleading users. And they pulled the app even though it was apparently very very quickly become very popular with all sorts of users. And I guess that just raised that whole question all over again of Apple's attitude to security. Should they actually try and embrace the jailbreaking community, maybe have conditions under which you can liberate your phone, even if there's some kind of warranty disclaimer or something that you have to sign and agree to, My own opinion is that they'd gain more from having those kind of guys who are a small minority of Apple iPhone users, if you like, inside the tent doing security research and sharing it immediately with the community rather than keeping it to themselves so they can use it for jailbreaking. And as you mentioned, Stefan Eiser tested his app against the 9.3.2 version of iOS, which follows on from the the Apple security news of the latest batch of updates that they released. Oh dear, yes. (laughs) Poor timing for Apple, wasn't it? Certainly, yes. And it seems that, uh, you know, one of the, it seems that the iOS update tended to brick some certain iPad pros out there. Yes, it's sort of an irony, isn't it, that they say to this independent developer, oh, no, we're going to pull your app because like future versions of the operating system might break it because you're not following the rules or the documents. And then apparently the update on this particular on iPad Pros actually caused some trouble. Our suggestion on naked security is that if you had got stuck with this, download the firmware from Apple, cut the network out of the equation. And then there's a secret option, if you like, in iTunes, where you hold down the, the I think, the, the option key or the alt key on Windows when you click uh, restore. Then you can actually choose a local file and you flash that local file. I'm not saying it'll guarantee to fix the problem, but it cuts your internet connection out of the equation. Very handy. So I would imagine that some of these owners of the bricked iPads would have called Apple support. But sometimes you don't really need to call support. Sometimes support calls you. So this is one of these well-known uh, you know, fake technical support scam stories that we've been talking about for years. There are two different flavors of this. There's the type where they call you and uh, basically say that they've detected something wrong with your computer system. They'll ask for remote access and then after which they'll charge anywhere from $100 to $1,000, depending on hard, you know, how much money they think they can fleece out of you. Or there's also the, uh, the pop-up, the web pop-up, because a lot of people have just stopped basically answering phone calls from unknown numbers. Uh, there's a web pop-up that says, you know, we've detected something wrong with your computer. You need to call us at a, an 800 number or whatever the toll-free number is. And I actually got one of these not too long ago when I was doing a bit of research. But um, it appears that Bing has just basically said enough of this. They've basically banned all technical support ads on their search network. Yes, if you're a legitimate 
online third-party technical support service. So there was your you're offering support, say, for Microsoft products. I mean, you're perfectly entitled to do that. Bing has said, look, you know, doesn't matter how much you pay us, we're not taking your ad money. And that's a kind of a bit of a sad statement on just how prevalent these fake support guys are. Our recommendation is if you do think you need support with your device, then it's one area like, you know, buying fresh produce where actually shopping locally can really help. Ask for advice from someone you actually know in the old school sense where you've actually met them and they're a friend of yours and you trust them. Ask them who they'd recommend. And if you can, get somebody local to come and help you. And don't let somebody else tell you you need support and then suddenly try and offer it to you and then suddenly need remote access to your computer and then suddenly start asking for money. Yeah, so it's too bad that some of these legitimate businesses are being caught up in this. But a few bad apples are spoiling the whole bunch in this case. Short of actually sort of consumer watchdogs identifying these scammers and actually clamping down on them, either with big enough fines that they have to stop operating or even, you know, jail sentences if they can be proven to have behaved fraudulently. I think until there's a bit more of that, then Bing's approach is about the only one. Make them slightly harder to find and stop them advertising their services in a way that gives them a credibility they don't deserve. And in some final news, uh, there's, uh, you know, we've talked about this show uh, in, in the past, uh, Mr. Robot, which is an incredibly popular and uh, actually quite uh, tech-savvy show for being a you know, network show. Uh, most of the time we, when we talk about uh, the way that our industry is being represented in movies and TV, we usually cringe a la CSI Cyber. Are you suggesting, John, for a moment that satellite cameras that are directly overhead cannot take pictures horizontally at ground level. Yeah, it's amazing how these satellites can sometimes look around corners as well. <laughs> but in this particular news, uh, you know, Mr. Robot, this, the second season is set to start uh, in about a month or so. And so the marketing folks over at the USA Network, which produces the show, decided they were going to have a little bit of fun and try to you know, market the, the show's second season. So they launched a website that allows you to, quote, join F Society, unquote, uh, you know, this, the fictional hacktivist group that's uh, featured in the show. But ironically, there was a bug that was discovered, a security vulnerability that could have actually led to the exploit of a Facebook profile information uh, that was actually on this whoismrrobot.com site. So, you know, this is one of these kind of meta problems, isn't it? That, you know, life is sometimes stranger than fiction. Yes, it's, we shouldn't laugh. You know, a cross-site scripting bug that can leak Facebook data. Unfortunately, the site was real that had the bug in it. That's exactly what Mr. Robot would have exploited. Um, I guess hats off to, to, to the researcher who disclosed it responsibly and to the operators of the website who, as I understand it, fixed the problem pretty quickly. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's almost too bad that this wasn't done on purpose, if you will, so that uh, you know, all of the actual disclosures were completely benign and, and it was all part of, uh, of the marketing plot. But unfortunately, this was all, all too real. But like you said, kudos to everybody involved, and I think uh, we're all the better for it. So uh, this time of year is also getting close to InfoSec Europe. I believe there's some good news for Naked Security. Yes, alongside InfoSec Europe, which happens in London in June, uh, there is the European Security Bloggers Awards this year. The Chet Chat is up for two awards. Naked Security is up for three, including the Grand Prix prize for the Uber Super Blog. 
And so we're in categories one, two, three, four, and 12. If you're if you like Naked Security and or the Chet Chat, I hope it's both, then please head to Naked Security, put in the search term vote, find the article which shows you where to go. And uh, if you like us, please vote for us. We would love to come back with an award like we did last year. Uh, just one word of warning. Uh, you're supposed to vote once each. So please respect that. That makes life much easier for the guys who run the awards. Right. And on that note, I will conclude Sophos Security Checklist Chat number 241. As always, for all the latest security news, please go to nakedsecurity.sophos.com. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to listen to more, you can find them on iTunes, the TuneIn app, or at soundcloud.com slash Sophos Security. And until next time, stay secure.